The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Season 3 of Students of Mind, the podcast that's all about opening up and normalizing discussions about mental health in ways that anyone can comprehend. In the first two seasons, we sat down with mental health experts and survivors to give you a full circle picture of each topic. In this new season, we will continue to explore the world of mental health through the insights of experts, healers, and individuals with lived experience. From alternative healing modalities to living with multiple illnesses, this season we will cover a wide range of topics with the help of a diverse selection of guests. My name is Jade, and today we are having a discussion about why finding therapy and mental health providers is so difficult with Dr. Juliet McClendon. Then, in the second part of the episode, I sit down and share the tips and tricks for finding care that I've developed over the years. I hope by listening to the show, you're able to learn something new and gain some encouragement through hearing our experts and listening to the journeys of our guests. However, this show is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have about your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Students of Mind podcast. Today's first guest is Dr. Juliet McClendon. Dr. McClendon is a clinical psychologist who trained at Harvard and Washington University. She is an expert in the delivery of evidence-based, scalable, and culturally responsive mental health care. Her work emphasizes the social and cultural experiences of people of color and how those experiences shape their mental health. So welcome, Dr. McClendon. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. 
Of course, I'm really excited for this conversation. I think it'll be interesting to talk about this with both of us here, you being the provider and me having the patient perspective. Um, But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Absolutely. So I am a clinical psychologist. And what that means is that my training has focused on um, psycho- delivering psychotherapy, <clears throat> excuse me, as well as teaching and research. And in my career, I've really, um, appro- I've really done all three of those things. So I started off my career at the uh, at the VA in Boston, where I did research, uh, clinical research, as well as um, education and training around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, culturally responsive psychotherapy. Um, And I also ran a research study that evaluated an intervention for racial trauma. Then um, from there, I moved on to Big Health, which is a digital therapeutics company. And digital therapeutics are basically like mental health apps um, that that basically people can use them anytime, anywhere and get help and treatment for whatever mental health struggles they're dealing with. Um, And there I was the director of medical affairs where I did a lot around translating things like science and clinical terms for more lay audiences, doing a lot of thought leadership um, and uh, connecting our sort of more research and development and our commercial teams. I recently left that position and I'm about to start a new position at a group private practice telehealth practice in Massachusetts. So I have, um, when it comes to psychotherapy, I've delivered in-person psychotherapy, I've dealt with digital therapy, and I've also done telehealth therapy. Um, So I have experience across the range. Um, But another area that is really important to me is educating and mentoring um, and teaching um, around culturally responsive interventions. And what I mean by that is Um, psychotherapy that takes into account people's cultural backgrounds and make sure that those cultural backgrounds are being integrated in how we think about patients and how we address their treatment. Great. You are doing so much work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it sounds so great. And I think that one of the things that you said, uh, you're talking about translating and making um, things have better language Mm -hmm. for everyday people I think that's so amazing that's like some of the work that I try to do here because that's a major barrier I feel like to mental health education so that's so amazing absolutely I'm glad that you're doing that because it is really important that you know not only do therapists know how to do therapy but also that people know what to look for and know what makes a good therapist because you know not all therapists are created equal Yes, that is very true, and I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a great segue into our discussion. Um, For today, I I just want to kind of talk about the process of finding a therapist or psychiatrist or just mental health care in general. Um, I know that in general, um, there are some barriers that are that come up around that but with the pandemic there are even more um so can we just talk about what some of the current barriers to finding a therapist or psychiatrist are absolutely um there are a number of barriers and those range from logistical barriers all the way to like 
um, knowledge barriers, right? And cultural barriers. So I, I typically think about barriers in a few different ways. So logistical barriers are things like scheduling. So say, for example, you have um, you are somebody who works is a shift worker and works at um, a store like Target or something like that. And you don't know what your schedule is going to be until maybe the week before. Um, and it shifts and it changes every week. And so it's really difficult for you to be able to set aside an hour of your time to be able to go and see a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist. Um, there are also issues around cost. So, you know, we know that not everyone has insurance. That's one thing. And even if you do have insurance, um, sometimes insurance is pretty limited in how much mental health care they cover. Um, and you have to also, not only that, but even if your insurance covers mental health therapy, you have to find a therapist who takes your insurance. And that's another barrier is that there are a lot of um, therapists and psychiatrists and mental health, mental health care providers who don't take insurance. And so then you're left paying out of pocket and rates can be anywhere from $100 to $400 an hour or a session. Um, so those are some of the logistical barriers. Um, there are also some cultural barriers to um, engaging in mental health care. And, you know, there, so I'm um, Black, African-American, and, you know, in the Black community, there are a lot of um, cultural norms around, like, sharing information about yourself outside of the family, right? Like, not airing dirty laundry, things like that. And so sometimes those kinds of norms, which are very adaptive in terms of protecting people, but when it comes to seeking help for someone's mental health, it's not so helpful um, and it can get in the way of people seeking help. Uh, but I don't want to sort of de-emphasize how um, real negative experiences in the mental health care system are. And that's another barrier is that people may have negative experiences. They may um, actually find a therapist, go to that therapist, have it covered, um, be able to afford it and have the time but then they experience a microaggression in therapy or they meet with a therapist who is not um, a, doing therapy in the way that that person needs to address their actual issues or that therapist is not incorporating, you know, that person's culture or background into therapy. And then that person ends up leaving. And what we know is that the modal number of sessions that the most frequent number of sessions that people go to um, is one. And so oftentimes people go to one session and then they don't come back. And um, so, like I said, you know, there are barriers to even getting into treatment, but even once in treatment, there can also be barriers to staying in treatment. Yeah, that is, I hear a lot of my experience in what you're saying. Um, I think I, I'm really happy that you mentioned the barriers that are also there once you're in treatment, because it's definitely, it's like dating, <laughs> finding a therapist <laughs> or a psychiatrist. Like, it is. You really have to find someone who you feel comfortable with, and you can really feel when the match is not right. Um, and it, it, it makes me so sad to hear that there's this trend of people going once and then not going back because I know how beneficial therapy and just getting help can be. So yeah, like what do you what do you think can be done to get people going back past that initial appointment? That's a great question. I mean, I think a lot of the onus for that is on psychotherapists themselves. 
in figuring out how, you know, in looking at their caseloads and seeing, okay, who has come and not come back? What are some of the similarities between them? What are some of the differences? And how can I figure out how to retain these uh, clients in treatment longer? But I think another thing is that people need to be sort of educated and understand what to look for in a therapist um, so that they know before they even get into that first session whether or not this is going to be a good fit. And of course, you know, you can never tell for sure before you actually get to know the therapist. Um, but I think there's some there's some things that you can look for. And so what I often suggest is that people look for somebody who provides evidence-based therapy. And that might look something like saying that they deliver um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or um, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy or dialectical behavior therapy. These are all evidence-based therapies that have been shown in research to actually help people get better. Um, and so if you're going in to deal with a depression or anxiety or, you know, trauma, you know, you want to work with somebody who has ex expertise in these evidence-based treatments. It's also something that you can ask. Um, I think the other thing to look for is whether that psych psychotherapist takes into account um, culture, background, um, and those kinds of important environmental and social factors into their work when they're providing therapy. Um, and again, something you can ask a therapist in a first session or in a um, consultation. What I do is I offer a 15-minute consultation before I have a first session so that we can make sure we're a good match. Um, I think even looking for therapists who offer that 15 minute free 15 minute consultation, you know, to be able to, to actually talk to them for a little bit and see if it's a good match. Um, I think also, uh, knowing where to look is a big part of it as well. Um, so there are a lot of different, um, options for where to find a therapist. You can look through your insurance. Um, you can look on psychology today, for example, and there are a lot of other, um, resources for that, um, which I can't think about the top of my head, but happy to provide some of those to you afterwards. Um, but, you know, you, using these kinds of therapy matching um, websites to find what you're looking for. So if you're looking for a female therapist of color who does cognitive behavioral therapy for depression, you can which would be me, for example, you know, you can put all those search terms in there and try and find somebody who offers that. And that's not to say that you'll always be able to find exactly what you're looking for or tick off every box, but knowing what are like kind of the top two or three most important things to you and looking for that will be important. And I think, you know, with teletherapy, there is a lot more flexibility and opportunity for people to be able to find the therapist that they're looking for, because not everyone needs to be within, you know, a 10 mile radius so that you can see them in person. So with teletherapy, I think uh, it's something that's gotten so, so big since the pandemic. Um, I, I read an article that you wrote and you talked a little bit about telehealth. Um, and I, I wonder if you can speak about some of the like positives and then some of the shortcomings of telehealth, because I know that there's some people who love it, some people who it's not their jam. Um, and just to get give people a sense about some of the pros and cons of it so they can kind of decide if telehealth or in person is better for them. Sure. Uh, I think, first of all, the benefit of telehealth really is providing people with options you know so before the pandemic really the main and 
almost only option for psychotherapy was in person. And again, that got in the way for a lot of people of being able to actually access psychotherapy. Um, and so teletherapy really opens up some options. And, and so people can, uh, they just have more of an opportunity to be able to see someone there. It reduces some of those access barriers. And then I think um, teletherapy is really, is, is wonderful because if we think about it, you know, even if, uh, even though typically psychotherapists are only allowed to practice in the state in which they're licensed, um, that still opens up a lot. So I'm in Massachusetts and there are people who it might take an hour or so for them to come get to me, even though they're in the same state, if they wanted to see me for therapy. But with teletherapy, I can see them weekly from their home um, and they don't have to get anywhere. And so it takes away that sort of transportation access barrier. Um, I think that some of the, so that that's a huge benefit of telehealth. And also if a therapist has licenses in multiple states, they can even see people out of state. Um, so again, it really increases that access. Um, but um, what we've seen in actuality is that um, there hasn't been a huge uptick in people using teletherapy since the pandemic. Um, people who are using teletherapy tend to be people who were in in-person therapy before. I think there was about a 5% more people um, use tele, like 5% 5 of people who use teletherapy after the pandemic were new to therapy. So it's not a huge jump, um, but, uh, but it made it easier for people who are already in therapy to access it during the pandemic and then after that. Um, and so I think that that is one of the, and, and the reason why there's a downside there is because teletherapy still relies on human providers. And human providers are a limited resource. Um, there are um, something, oh, I don't want to say the wrong number, but there's like a couple hundred thousand licensed therapists in the United States. Um, but we know that about 40% of the U of U.S. adults, um, so that's about 50 million, are struggling with their mental health. So we have a huge supply and demand issue. Um, and so even with teletherapy, um, we, you know, it's still human beings are a finite resource. And so we still have that, that, that issue of there is a much larger demand for psychotherapy than there is the actual resources to provide that demand. Um, so I would say that that's the biggest con and that's a broader issue than just teletherapy, but it's a, it's a problem that teletherapy cannot solve. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think teletherapy is is definitely great. I think there's a level of like for me, I I have a somatic therapist, so there's kind of a very um, limited uh, like what you can do with mm -hmm. what what I can do with my somatic therapist is pretty limited through telehealth. Um, but yeah, I I think I was really excited once the pandemic started because I, I felt like I was seeing more people um, reaching out for help because the help was there, even if it wasn't like a therapist, just reaching out for support around mental health in general Yes. and getting that support online. There was a big uptick of that during the pandemic. So we talked about the pandemic and how that affected access to care. Um, and about the sort of shortage that there is with therapists. 
Can we talk more about some of the best practices that um, you would suggest for when you're looking for a therapist or mental health care provider? Yeah, absolutely. So some of what I said earlier applies here in terms of knowing what you're looking for. Um, So it's really important to do a little bit of homework and understand what are the options for psychotherapy. So to start, you know, like I said, evidence-based psychotherapies. I think doing a little bit of homework on that and even like if you did a podcast on that, that'd be awesome. You know, like what are they? What do they entail? What do they look like? How do I know if I found a therapist who offers it? Um, So being able to find a therapist who offers evidence-based therapy, looking for somebody who addresses the issues that you're going in for. So you want to definitely find a therapist to like if you're going in because you've been feeling really down and hopeless or depressed, somebody who deals with who um, uh, treats depression. Um, If you are looking for and then knowing what you're looking for in terms of um, how they approach therapy. So if they are approaching therapy in a very like directive manner or if you want somebody who's more there for support, um, you may look for more of a supportive therapist and that may be somebody who doesn't offer evidence-based therapy. But if that's not what you're looking for, if you're looking for somebody to be more supportive and a listening ear, then it makes sense to go with somebody who maybe doesn't do that. Um, I would say also um, deciding you know, if there are demographic factors that are important to you when working with a therapist. And um, and if you can't find a therapist who fits those demographic factors, not being afraid to ask in that first session, ask your therapist, like, how do you incorporate culture and background into your work with, with, with clients? You know, asking that question. Um, you should approach your first session with a therapist as if you're interviewing them. Um, they are there to convince you that they are the right therapist for you. You're not there to convince them of anything. And so bringing with you a list of questions that get at the most important aspects of what you're looking for and asking those questions in that first session would be really important. And a lot of this information you can often find on a therapist's online profile. They often put a lot in there. And so you can sort of sift through and, and find like your top three or four give them calls, see if they're taking patients. That's another barrier I didn't mention is that because of the supply and demand issue, a lot of therapists aren't taking patients or have long wait lists. Um, So you do need to be prepared to potentially have to wait a little bit before you see someone. Um, But I think, you know, having that list of questions, having that list of criteria, doing your homework on the therapist before you meet with them, doing your homework while you meet with them by interviewing them, Um, and I think those are the sort of some best practices I would suggest for people who are looking for therapy. Yeah, that's, that's so great. I think this is going to be so helpful for people because the process is, can be so overwhelming. Um, and sometimes you just don't even know where to start. So I think having this as like a tool for people will be so great. My last question that I ask every guest um, this season, I am putting an emphasis on self-care this season because it's been so important in my own healing journey and I want to try to emphasize it to my audience. So my question for you is, what is one thing that you do to maintain mental wellness? That's such a great question. And I will, I'll say that I also have struggled with my mental health in my life. And I have a therapist and um, I have 
spent a lot of time trying to develop a routine and hobbies and things that are, will help support my mental wellness. So for me, the biggest thing that so, that helps me is singing. Um, I love to sing. I found an online community of uh, musical theater nerds um, that I'm a part of, and we do shows together and sing songs together. And it's just not only is it really a social outlet for me, which I think is one really, really important aspect of having good mental health is having a social outlet, having relationships, having friendships, even if it's like you have one good friend that you talk to, like having that social support is really important. And then on top of that, having some sort of creative outlet can be really helpful as well, whether that's like painting or writing or um, singing or dancing, whatever it may be, um, I think is really crucial for my mental health. And I think for a lot of people's mental health, And then the third thing that I'm still working on is movement. So having some kind of an exercise routine or just a movement routine. So that can be like, you know, working out, but it can also be going for a walk every day or it can be um, putting on some music after work and dancing around your living room every day. Like just something that involves moving around, moving your body. Um, So that's something I'm still working on. And I I just want to like normalize for everyone that like, Having a self-care routine is not easy. It's very challenging, especially when you're struggling with your mental health. It's really hard to put things in place that are going to be helpful. And so if you can do even one thing a day, even if it's for 10 minutes, reading for 10 minutes or meditating for 10 minutes, listening to a song you like or moving around, like whatever it might be, like putting something in your day on a daily basis, no matter how short or long it is, um, can go a long way. Great. I'm so happy you mentioned all of that. I, I love asking this question to providers because I think this is something we don't really hear from providers that often. Yeah. Um, so I, I love, I love everything you mentioned, um, for people who want to get in touch with you or stay up with the work that you do, um, how can people do that? Oh, absolutely. So you can, um, go to my website. It's julietmcclendonphd.com. Um, I also offer, um, consultation and speaking engagements around my areas of expertise. So you can learn more about that there. I'm also on Twitter at dr like Dr. Juliet M. Um, so you can find me on Twitter as well, where I've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of different topics and sort of trying to um, do what you're doing, which is um, make topics around mental health more accessible to the broader population. Um, I've been a little quiet lately, but I'm getting back into it. Um, so you can find me there as well, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all this information. I know it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Of course, it was my pleasure.
Hey everyone, it's Jade here. Um, I wanted to come on to the second half of this episode and share with you a little bit about my journey with therapy and some of the tips that I have developed over the years for finding a therapist or just care in general for mental health related stuff. So to start off, I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey with therapy. So I got my first therapist at 11 years old. Um, When I was 11, I actually approached my mom and told her that I was struggling with feeling sad all the time. Um, And I remember very vividly like that conversation. Um, Yeah, it was like late at night one day, I went into her room and I was like, something along the lines of I've been feeling sad even though there's nothing to be sad about and I told her that I was struggling with feeling lonely even when I was with friends like I could be around my closest friends and still feel very lonely so I was 11 when I first brought that up with my mom and pretty quickly um, because my mom had um, experienced you know her own mental health struggles so I fairly quickly was able to like get into seeing a therapist because my mom had been in therapy so she kind of knew that like one of the things that you do when someone's struggling with something like this is therapy. So pretty quickly, my mom and I started, or honestly, for this first one, it was my mom. Um, She started looking for a therapist for me. Um, And again, yeah, at 11, I, I, you know, started with my first therapist. Um, So my parents because, you know, I was underage, or I was under 18, um, when things first kicked off, my parents were the ones that kind of chose my providers for me, um, of course I had, like, some say in it, but since I was a minor, it was, um, the providers I got was kind of chosen by my parents, and so, yeah, that was just, an interesting experience. Um, I did go through a lot of therapists um, growing up, but I feel like that's kind of normal, like the trial and error. And I also like moved when I was younger. So anyway, so up until I was 18, my parents were like very involved and sometimes, like, dictated the providers that I got, um, and then once I turned 18, like, my, the, specifically, like, the treatment or the outpatient center where I was getting all of my care, like, they did all of the things to, like, make me responsible for, like, paperwork and stuff, um, you know, of course, I had the support of my parents, but it was, like, right when I turned 18, it was like, okay, you're, you're an adult, and, um, you're responsible for all of these things, so, 
yeah, I just wanted to mention that because it can be like a little bit, it's just something, it, it's an adjustment to go from like your parents being the ones who are considered the adults in the situation to becoming the adult and um, being approached as that, even though it's like <laughs> one day you are considered, you weren't considered an adult and the next day you were. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because that's something that can sometimes happen. It's like right when you turn 18, they're like, you're an adult, so you need to make all the decisions, even though you're, um, even if your parents are like in the picture. So yeah, well, once I turned 18, um, I kind of started choosing my care. Um, I found my current therapist I found all of my current providers um, on my own, and I'll talk more about how I did that in a little bit. Um, but it's been really cool to kind of be completely in the driver's seat for finding care because um, I can really like look at what I want in a provider and make sure that the providers that I find meet those needs and wants um so yeah I just feel like I'm a little bit more in control now yeah so I am such a big I feel like I can get kind of annoying with this but like I am such a big advocate for therapy therapy is is so is is such a great tool and I I I almost like have a hard time finding the words to describe why I um like cherish it so much but I love therapy because it's like it's a space where you it's for you and only for you and you know when you go into the space of therapy it's you and your feelings and your emotions and whatever you have are the priority um and for me that's like a big part of my like struggle is like not prioritizing myself so when I'm in the space of therapy and I can do that it feels really great but yeah I always I I think that anyone could (laughs) benefit from therapy, just like the act of having someone to talk to specifically about your thoughts and feelings and emotions and whatever life circumstances come up. I feel like that's so valuable and healing and yeah, I don't know, it's just... A pretty like amazing tool and in my opinion and um you know it can take some time to find the right fit for therapy but like once you find the right fit it can be like monumental in in your life journey um so yeah I'm a huge advocate (laughs) if you couldn't tell for therapy um so I want to get into some uh, of the little like tips and tricks that I have for finding a therapist or kind of really just like mental health care in general. Um, I feel like there's 
probably more tips that I'm going to share. So, um, you know, this is just kind of what I've developed over the years of finding care. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. The first thing that I generally do when I am looking for a therapist or a psychiatrist or some type of mental health provider, I usually write out why I'm looking for this provider. Um, So I just make sure to write out whatever I'm experiencing that kind of prompted me to start searching for support, um, you know, symptoms, life circumstances, um, and how these things may be impacting my life. I just make sure to like write those out so I know you know, what I'm asking for support for. Um, So yeah, just kind of getting clear about what circumstances or situations you need guidance or support around or what symptoms you're experiencing that you would like support with. Next, what I do is I make a list of like all of the characteristics that I want my therapist or provider to have. So this includes things like race, gender, age, um, area of expertise, like if they're trauma specialists or anxiety specialists, um, things like that. Um, Also things like temperament. Um, This is kind of something you have to do like a little bit more research to figure out, but like sometimes you want to make sure that the provider you have has the same or similar temperament as you um so that's something that you can kind of write out and make a note of um the kind of temperament that you're looking for um and also just like style of service delivery we kind of talked to the about this in the conversation you guys listened to before this but like if they are very gentle and compassionate with the way they conduct therapy or if they're more like hard and like tough love if that's the way they conduct therapy like write that out um because that's something that's important in you know searching for the provider that you're looking for so yeah making a list of all of those characteristics is helpful Um, So you can easily refer to that when you're doing your search. And then the next thing um, that I do is I look at the financial aspect of this. So one, do I have insurance um, and does it cover behavioral health care? Usually you can check your coverage by going on your insurance website and like signing into your account you can call your insurance or you can check on the back of your insurance card and see if there's a phone number for like behavioral or mental health care so yeah checking in with that is something that's good to do before you start searching and then also uh checking in with yourself to see if you have a budget for out-of-pocket payments if that's something that you have to do so if you are unable to find um a provider that takes your insurance or if your insurance doesn't cover behavioral health 
um, there's a chance you will have to pay out of pocket. So writing out what your out of pocket budget is, is a good idea. So just to be prepared in case, um, you know, your insurance doesn't cover a provider you want. So the next thing that I do that kind of goes along with uh, the insurance piece is I utilize my insurance's provider search. Um, so usually if you go on your like insurance website and log into your account online, they have a place where you can search for providers that are in network with your insurance, which just means that they're providers that accept your insurance. So I think this is a, a great <laughs> tool to use because it's doing a lot of that work for you. It's only searching for providers that are within the network of your insurance. So you don't have to like sift through a bunch of providers that don't take your insurance. Um, so yeah, if you have this tool, I really recommend it because it can take a lot of the work um, out of the process of finding care. Um, so another way you can uh, check to see if a provider takes your insurance is just by calling your insurance and, um, uh, you know, sharing the information of the provider with them and then they can check to see if they are covered by your insurance. Um, so yeah, that's another way you can do it is just by calling. So after I write all of this stuff out, um, you know, why I'm looking for support and, you know, the things I'm experiencing or the circumstances I'm experiencing, the characteristics that I want in the provider, and also my budget for care or if my insurance covers care, writing all that stuff out. After I do that, it's time to actually search. So I have a few places that I generally do my search. So first, like I mentioned before, is my insurance provider search. So again, it's a directory within your insurance website that allows you to search for in-network providers. So that's a great place to start. Another great place to search is the Psychology Today provider search. They have a lot of different um, criteria you can change to make your search more nuanced. You know, like picking which insurance coverage, area of expertise, you can choose like gender, um, whether they're in the LGBTQ community. So they have a lot of options for you to really narrow down your search. Um, so that's one that I would really recommend for people because um, it's really easy. And generally, if you do like a Google search for providers, one of the first links will be to Psychology Today. Um, a lot of therapists have their like account set up on Psychology Today with their profile explaining everything, um, all of the services that they offer. Um, on psychology today so again it's it's a really great uh tool um so there's a few other directories that i wanted to mention so there are a lot of directories out there these are just some that i've used in my own search and have referred other people to so one of the directories is called 
inclusivetherapists.com. So yeah, inclusivetherapists.com is a directory that lets you search for therapists that are identity affirming and culturally responsive. Um, They say that all people with all abilities and all bodies deserve equal access to identity affirming and culturally responsive care. So they generally center the needs of BIPOC and LGBTQ intersections, and they try to amplify the voices of neurodivergent and disabled communities of color. Um, So yeah, if you're looking for more inclusive care, that is a great place to start. Um, And then two directories that I've used um, have been great for finding Black providers. So one of them is Therapy for Black Girls, which is like a website with some great resources um, and a therapist search. Uh, They also have a podcast, which is really great, and I really recommend that. Um, And then the second one is blackfemaletherapists.com. They have a really nice and like a very visual directory, so it's really easy to use. and they center around um, helping people find black female therapists um so yes these are just some of the directories there are more and i will link some of the more general ones in the show notes of the episode but yes i i think directories are great because if you just do a google search it's going to give you so much (laughs) so much to sift through Um, But these directories allow you to really narrow down your search. Yeah, they allow you to narrow down your search and yeah, make sure that you are, you know, like actually finding people who can meet those needs and reasons that you're looking for care that you wrote out before you started searching. So, you know, throughout your search, you're going to have to adjust your search criteria in case, you know, you're not really finding what you're looking for. So make sure to change things like the location of where you're searching, the insurance coverage, the characteristics, the mode of service, uh, things like if it's virtual or in person, if that's something that you care about. And yeah, just you know, know that you may have to adjust some of your search criteria to get the results that you want. When you are searching, it is helpful to create a document or spreadsheet to uh, like record all of the therapists or providers that you find um, and have a place where like you can easily access their contact information, like their website, the information about the type of services they provide. um, So you don't always have to like go to their website to see that information it's just easily accessible for you um so yeah i would recommend i use google docs um when i do a provider search i just make a document and list out all of the therapists names put the names in bold font um and then under their names write out if they take my insurance their phone number their website and like a little bit of text about uh, like the type of services they provide. Yeah, that's just helpful. So you know 
who you've looked for um, and have easy access to all of the information you need to reach out to them. So lastly, in this provider search excursion that I do, um, I make sure to create an outreach plan. So I make sure to schedule out times to contact and follow up with providers on the list that I created. So I think it's important to note that you don't have to do all of this stuff in one day. Looking for care is overwhelming and stressful and can take time. So pace yourself and try not to overwhelm yourself too much by doing it all in one day. Um, so something that I do is I like make a schedule for outreach. I write out the date and the time on that day that I'm going to call or email or send a message to a provider that I found. Initial phone calls with providers um, may take, they vary. So they could be 15 minutes, they could be an hour. So make sure you allocate enough time to have these calls and these conversations with potential providers um, so you're not like smushing things in your schedule and then I also when I schedule out time to contact I make sure to schedule in self-care again this is one this is really amazing work that you're doing finding mental health care for yourself is something that is very brave and it takes a lot of effort and courage and so it's important that after you do all of this work that you treat yourself kindly. So I always schedule in self-care after I do outreach for mental health services. For me, I get very overwhelmed with this type of stuff. Um, just like the accumulation of doing this over the years and I get a lot of anxiety when I have to find new providers. But having this self-care piece is really helpful in just like bringing my nervous system down after doing this work that kind of stirs stuff up. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just another tip I have is like do something nice for yourself after you do this because you are doing work. You are doing the work to get yourself the care you need, whether it's for the first time or finding a, a different provider than you have or going back into mental health care after a while. This is work that is going to lead to you getting the help you deserve. Um, and it's not easy. So take the time to do something really nice for yourself. Again, I want to mention that these are just the tips that I have found to be helpful over the years of searching for providers, but I'm sure that other people have more really helpful tips. So I'm going to try to find some more articles and things to leave in the show notes so you guys can have as much information as possible to help you with finding care for your mental health. Because again, it's a very brave step to take to start the journey or reignite the journey or 
shift the direction of your journey of caring for your mental health. So I hope this is helpful. I hope this landed for you, even if just a little bit. Um, and I'd love to hear any tips that you guys have. So in, in the Instagram post for this episode, if you guys could go and leave any more tips that you guys have for finding mental health care providers, that would be really helpful for even myself and also just other people listening to this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Students of Mind. I want to give a big thank you to Dr. McClendon for being on the show. It was really cool to sit down with her and talk about this issue and hear about all of her insights and also hear about what she does for self-care. So be sure to check the description of this episode if you want to learn more about her and her work. If you'd like to follow myself and the Students of Mind team to see what we're up to, all of our links are in the description as well. Don't forget to go to newsly.me and use code STUDENTS for a free premium subscription to the new Audio Super app. Also, check out studentsofmind.com slash sister sessions for 50% off on a service to get supported with finding mental health care. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you learned something new or resonated with something you heard today, and I will see you next episode. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.